It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Guard Podcast. I'm your host Manu Weff and this is episode 3 of our World Cup preview session. There's just two of us, although we have a couple special guests on in between. Um, joining me this time, just us solo today, Tim. It's a little sad, but how are you doing? Tim Bokterjeff from Vancouver. Good morning. Yeah, it's great. Uh, very excited. Um, the the World Cup is pretty much uh, around the corner. Um, obviously, the biggest football event uh, of the year. There's so much previews. There's so much excitement happening. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for this episode because again, uh, last last week we did this episode. It gets us ready. It gets us exciting. Thinking about different groups and thinking about all the chances, all the lineups. Um, yeah, we obviously discussed today that yesterday I was. Um, thinking a lot about uh, Germany squad and I'll ask you a few questions about that. Um, so yeah, th- today is going to be a great episode and let's do it. Yeah, it's, I, I'm really looking forward to this and uh, I guess we're starting, we finished with Group D last week. So the first one to do is Group E and that's Brazil. Um, we have a specialist on Brazil, Tim, um, and Thomas Farine. So I'm really excited. I got to talk to him before this podcast. But before we listen to what Thomas says, quick Brazil are one of the favorites, are they not? Of course, of course they are. Um, to me, like a, a lot of, of my friends uh, in Canada and Russia ask me about the favorites and they ask me who is the favorite and who would be in semifinal. And I don't like saying that because, you know, only one game or one shot can change, uh, can make a difference between being first and second position in the group. And then you have completely r- different route, route to the semifinal. So the way I answer that question, I don't know who's going to be in semifinal because it's it's impossible to know because we're dealing with the playoff system where where a lot of things can go different just the way the way it's structured. But I say that uh, Spain, Germany, France and Brazil are of the four teams with the best quads. I don't know if they will end up in the semifinal. If if it's possible, it depends how the the playoff system will go. But definitely, those four teams have the strongest squads on paper. That means nothing in real life because uh, real life is football, and we know football is completely unpredictable. Uh, and that's the beauty of it. But Brazil is definitely one of the top four countries with their uh, lineup. They have um, top star because, in my opinion. 
most of the countries who won uh, the big tournaments, they had um, a top star. Obviously, I'm talking about Neymar. And they have a lot of players who obviously play in the top level. Uh, my only issue is is the, the you know the team aspect of that. Uh, it was interesting fact for me that you know they have different captains uh, throughout their friendly matches. That shows that you know is there an obvious leader that should be Neymar? That should be somebody who you know who leads the team in the dressing room. They also have Marcelo who has the you know who is the leader outside of the feature but still that's that's an in, to me it was interesting that there were there's all brazilian teams which i remember from the previous years had a very significant uh, leader it was dunga in 1994 uh, carlos alberto i believe was at the, in the 70 world cup um so they had this presence maybe not the best player but the leader of the team and uh, this team is fairly young of course they have a few experienced players but um that's my only kind of a little concern but i don't think you can kind of have too many concerns about brazil because it's brazil the team who won the world cup five times the most in the world yeah no absolutely um i guess this is a good time to to listen to what uh, thomas had to say about um, brazil because he echoes some of your concerns and he also thinks that politics could be a major concern as well well let's listen to thomas um, right now. Thomas, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm enjoying the, the sunshine here in Greece. It's been quite warm these past few days. It's amazing. I, I bet you are. I've, I mean, uh, as people know from the previous podcast, I was in Dubrovnik last week, so I, I know all about the heat. Uh, when it comes to heat, Thomas, uh, this side, I mean, you are Brazilian, right? That is your background. Uh, Florianopolis is your home in Brazil when you're not, um, galvanizing around the world tell us about this brazil side thomas what is your expectations i mean very simply speaking brazil's expectations always to win the whole thing but what are your personal expectations when it comes to brazil um my hopes <laughs> um i hope that we will win it actually and that we do 7-1 in the final against germany that would be the dream it's not gonna happen obviously i think that with these squads uh well, we have a couple of weaknesses, in my opinion, uh, which are specifically the, the right back position with, without Danny Alves. And we, we've had that in the past when Cafu retired. Like when you have a player that for so many years holds the, the, the position in the national team, then when, uh, some, some of the talents don't, don't have the chance, the experience. And we have a player that has 17 caps, which is Danilo, that plays for Manchester City, and one, the other one with four caps, that plays for Corinthians. Frankly, I wouldn't have taken Fagner. I would have chosen to take Fabinho, because Fabinho, not only can he play defensive midfield, the new signing from, from Liverpool, he can also play right back. And actually, he started his career as a right back, and he's, in my opinion, better than Fagner. So I, I would say that I expect Brazil at least to get to the semi-finals, mm. and why not a spot in the final? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's always the expectation. I'm not so sure seven-one will happen the other way around, Thomas. I think that's <laughs> unlikely. Although a Germany-Brazil final wouldn't that be something? Now, um, you already mentioned Fabinho. He's a notable omission. I think when you talk about right backs, I just uh, just before this podcast, I wrote the the preview for um, the Russia squad for another outlet and um Mario Fernandez is one of their key players. Is it safe to say that he's pretty much the be he's going to be the best Brazilian right back at that tournament but playing for a different country? <laughs> that that's accurate and 
<laughs> that's really accurate. He, I, I don't understand how. I, I mean, I understand. Like th- this, this is a problem with the the Brazilian national team. Uh, it's that most of the the coaches that are, are hired, the the national team managers, they are connected uh, to agents, mm. and they tend to to choose players because of agents. So you you have uh, at some point, for example, you you have uh, an overflow of Ukrainian Shakhtar players. Uh, I mean, in this time, there's only two. But if you look at the squad, you can see that there's more than just two that play for for Shakhtar in the squad. You have Tyson and Fred that are currently playing. But you have Fernandinho, you have William, Douglas Costa. They all went through, in Europe, through Shakhtar. And they started in the national team because of this uh, connection between agents and national team managers. So I think that Mario Fernandez was overlooked and it was a big mistake he has showed a lot of quality and unfortunately for him he although he's going to play for his new home they're not going to go far in the world cup are they yeah that's actually where i'm going to be my final question on this thomas um do you think internal politics like the, the agent story is going to be brazil's biggest obstacle of getting going to win the world cup maybe it is. It is actually. It, it's one of the, the the biggest problems we have um, for development of of talent, actually, because if we think about it, like most of our talent uh, today, as as youngsters, like as under eighteen, are are owned by by agents. Although the FIFA the the FIFA ruling of uh, third party ownership. Um, says that it's illegal, it still happens. I remember a couple of years ago when I worked for Charlton, uh, there was this player from Corinthians. He hadn't even made his debut uh, for Corinthians, Mateus Cassini. If you look at him now, I think he's playing like in the second division in some weird country like Croatia or Slovenia. I, I don't know. But uh, they wanted uh, 2 million euros for him. And they were negotiating him, they, his agents were negotiating him at the back of the club. And this seems to be happening because in order to take players like players that have had a huge career back to the country, agents say, okay, we help paying the salary, but you give us your young talent. And it means that it, sometimes they go, they go where the, the agents want and there's no development. It's, it's really a shame. I mean, you look at the quality of Brazil overall over, I mean, we're the only country that has never not been into a World Cup. Mm. We'll, we will see. I, I, I hope there will be some changes regarding that. Well, we'll see at this tournament. Uh, for me, Brazil uh, among one of the favorites to win it all. Well, thank you for coming on, Thomas. And uh, we'll probably have you on again during the World Cup. Thank you very much. No, thank you, guys. And uh, good luck to Germany. Uh, don't think they need it, but yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Yeah, Thomas Farines, everyone. Um, Tim, politics could be the big obstacle for Brazil. We'll have to see, I guess. Um, you know, Tite is a very good coach. Uh, he has, he's basically known his starting 11 since, uh, February. Um, has not experimented that much with his side. It's a, it, it's, it's a team that finished first in uh, Conmebol qualifying with 41 points, 10 points ahead of second place Uruguay in what is a very strong qualification um, group, right? And then, of course, 
Um, the one other thing that we didn't really talk about with uh, Thomas is the, the Neymar injury. Uh, it's a metastasal, it's a complicated injury that can take you out for quite some time. Um, so, you know, some question marks over Brazil. I personally think that they always stay about when it comes to winning the tournament. But um, we should talk about the teams that they're facing in the group. Um, and that's, first of all, you know, maybe the a team that's always a little underestimated, but always at the World Cup. And this is a country that you have lived in, Tim, in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah I know that you, you played football there. Um, Switzerland, a site that's very heavily dependent on immigrants, but has done very well at integrating all these different nationalities into their national team. And um, it's very strong German contingent in that in that squad too. Lots of players that play in the German Bundesliga. Uh, four players from Gladbach, for example, uh, Borussia Dortmund, um, then abroad Stoke City, Deportivo La Coruña. I mean Bologna, Milan, Leipzig, Udinese, Arsenal, Benfica. You know they have players from all over the world playing at the highest level. This Swiss side could surprise some people, right, Tim? Yeah, it's 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 it is a it is um well I'm biased because I always support Switzerland because I lived there and um, I, I love that country so I'm not I'm a little bit biased towards Switzerland but the the key component that's exactly what I said in in the previous uh, episode you just named so many uh, players from so many clubs who play at the top level. And I think when we come, when we speak about a fairly short tournament uh, where, you know, where it's very hard to have, um, you know, a, a team play and figure out all the tactics between, um, you know, to, uh, it's different from the club level because on the club le level you have a couple of months to prepare for, for the tournament, uh, sorry, for the season, and then you have trainings on a weekly basis. Here we have only one month to prepare, and I think that experience when you play in, in different leagues, when you play against top opponents, this is when this experience comes into play. And uh, definitely Switzerland, have they have that. And um, the number of, you know, the number of planes from uh, Bundesliga, it also shows. Um, shows that that level of that level of of class of certain class which they have. They also have the leader. I I'm still I'll be saying that at every country we will be talking about. But uh, I believe really believe that you need to have a couple of leaders, a couple of people who you can really count on on in those short term tournaments. Uh, I'm obviously talking about uh, Shakiri and Stefan Lichsteiner, two very experienced players, two very talented, very talented players. Uh, obviously playing a different part of the field, but uh, you need those. We all remember the crazy Shakiri goal um, when he scored like overhead kick he he is capable of absolutely magnificent things and he is the can be the match decisive player um, could you what would you think about the overall generation because World Cup is such a generational thing how do you see that uh, Switzerland generation given you know the representation in all those top leagues yeah I think that they are a very good side I mean Switzerland for me I'm always impressed that a small country like Switzerland, it's not just in, in football, it's in any sport that they do. They're always in that top, top level. You know, it's, this is a country of 8 million people, Tim. And, um, every, every generation, they, they managed to get to the World Cup. I think they've, they have only missed three or four World Cups in the history of the country. That's significant, right? At the same time, they haven't reached a quarterfinal at the World Cup in 60 years. And I think that this side could possibly do it. 
just because of the the things that you've just mentioned with all the depth that they have in the various in the various fields and then Jaden Shakiri is for me a player that's is underrated he hasn't done enough of his talent that's a big problem and then of course uh, Granit Xhaka who gets a lot of criticism um, playing in the English Premier League but I, I read a book lately uh, recently by uh, Christoph Biermann he's a is a German journalist who writes for El Freunde and he's written a book called Match Plan and, and Statistics and when you look at Xhaka's data he leads the world in packing. Now people will wonder what packing is. Packing is the amount of players overplayed in every match. So his his pass distribution, his triplings, etc., take X amount of opposes, opposing players out of every match, and he is one of the best players at that. So I think that's already some some keys right there. And I can see. I mean, this is this is the the, the thing. Um, if they can if they can put the side together and get all these different players from the different from different club sides to play well together. They can do very good things. Um, so I think I I view the side very positively. I know in, within Switzerland there is some criticism because of the way they sometimes perform. But look, they finished their group second and the only match that they lost to was against Portugal. And they actually won one of the other matches, right? So they finished uh, mm. out of 27 points out of possibly 30 points in the group and still only managed second because of goal differential. This is a good side. And... They are in a good group, you know. We we talk about two of the other countries that are in this group, um, Tim, and I mean, the next one is maybe one that we you want to focus on with Serbia, uh, the brother nation of Russia, right? This is a, uh, but, a, another good but, side. Yeah, it is. Can Can I ask you one last question on Switzerland because yeah, that uh, the uh, you should, I think you probably have have an answer. To me, uh, also the you know I'm looking at the lineup, and uh, that was for the past couple of tournaments with Switzerland because they have good uh, defense, they have good uh, midfield with the with a few players which you named. To me, is um, you know the, it's the question of the striker, and since you know Fry, Turkilmas, and Stefan Shapuza finished, yeah. they didn't really have one top striker who was who was good in Europe, who was like the number one striker. How was the season? for um, Mbolo, because to me, it's between him and Seferovic, possibly, right? Yeah. Oh, actually, maybe Dermic as well. So who do you see as the striker and who do you think will be the most dangerous striker on the, the, in the Switzerland uh, team? Well, Mbolo is a massive talent, Tim. Absolutely mm-hmm. significant, huge talent. But look, he had that, he had that very complicated injury last season, right? That, that took him out for almost the entire year and um that's that's uh that's something that has been bothering him still so you still sometimes see it in his movements and in, in his goal scoring wasn't great at times but he's getting better so i think this could be the tournament where he's finally getting back on track 24 mm-hmm. 24 games three goals scored for switzerland isn't great Drimic is a very much the same story he's a very good striker put injuries so many mm-hmm. injuries. So I think the talent is there, but not necessarily the playing time, if that makes makes any sense. Yeah, yes. And that's that kind of puts the question on the current forum, because we obviously yeah. don't know what's happening right now in the training camp. But yeah, like, yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of you kind of we're sharing both that concerns about the yeah, the striker. OK, so yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. Let's move mm-hmm. on to Serbia. Yeah, Serbia. This is actually another side I really like. Um, I know we have. Milos Markovic write about Serbia quite regularly on the Football Grad Network, the of what the or the Eagles. Um, this is of course one of the former Yugoslav sides, and it's incredible how much talent they have on that 
in that small space in the world, you know, Serbia, Croatia. Imagine if we all still won't be one country. The, the amount oh. of good players would be just mind-blowing. But yeah, the Serbia side, maybe a bit unlucky to be in that group, Tim. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's kind of tough. That's that's a tough group, you know. Maybe not for Brazil, uh, but for all other teams. Um, you know, if you look at Switzerland, Serbia, and Costa Rica, all three teams potentially um, can be seen in the route on sixteen uh, because because just the yeah, pure talent on on paper. But yeah, obviously, two teams would have to finish their um, World Cup uh, journey at the at that at the stage. So yeah, they're a little bit un- unlucky because we, we we're looking at some other groups and maybe uh, one of those gr- one of those teams could be easily second uh, team in in another group. But you know that's the draw. Nothing we can do. And uh, speaking of the um, Serbian lineup, like we said, it's it's always the very very bright and very playing teams. Like but in Russian, we say this word playing when they play the game. It's not like just getting the result, playing the game. And they have a few players with good experience. Uh, I know that Alexander Mitrovic had a, a, a good season in England. And um, we have obviously, you know, Adam Ljajic and uh, Tadic again from uh, Southampton. Um, so it, it is it is interesting uh, side, uh, but I'm curious to see how Milinkovic Savic, who had a wonderful um, season in Lazio, um, apparently Lazio wants about 100 million for him. So, but um, looking at his stats, he had only three games for the Serbian national team, so he doesn't have that much experience on that level. But at the same time, we all know what kind of season he had this year in Lazio. This is where he progressed to the top level player and one of the best players in Serie A. This season so he will be definitely um, a player to look for in that squad and how he will how will he will he perform uh, it's hard to say how, again in this group it's really hard to give any predictions and i don't really like doing predictions because yeah. that kind of ruins the beauty of the football but uh, that group will be in- and definitely an interesting group to watch out a fun group for scouts too you know yeah you have, yeah. You have brazil you have switzerland uh, you have Serbia, I mean, uh, maybe one player to, to point out, Luka Jovic from Eindracht Frankfurt, who I saw at the cup final just a few weeks ago. Fantastic striker, really good striker. Um, another one is uh, Milos Velikovic from Werder Bremen, who has had a very good season. I mean, I look up and down the Serbia side, Andrea Sivkovic as well, a uh, huge Benfica talent that has been linked with various clubs. And then there's, of course, the established players. I mean, this is... This is, is a great side, Tim. And, um, I mean, when it comes to between Switzerland and Serbia, I would have a hard time to pick. And I mean, to make this even more complicated, um, we <laughs> all remember the side Costa Rica. Now, at first glance, this is, this is not a world beating side. And this is not disrespectful because I'm going to say something quite opposite in a moment. This is a side that reached the quarterfinal of the 2014 World Cup and were only eliminated by penalty kicks by the Netherlands. Um, yeah. This Costa Rica team, you know, it represents perhaps some of the best that CONCACAF have to offer. There's a lot of players from all over the world, including from, we see some of these players all the time in Major League Soccer, uh-huh. right? Um, and we got, we even spoke to one of those players and we're going to bring him in in a moment. But, um, I mean, overall, let's start with the keeper, Kelos Navas. He's, he's often underrated, isn't he, Tim? And he won the Champions League. And then you look up and down the side, they could, they could really surprise people again. 
Yeah, I'm again. I, I fell in love with Costa Rica at the last tournament. It was just such a you know a, a fairly small nation who just made to this massive, massive um, success. And um, you saw those videos uh, from Costa Rica from the country, and you saw how much uh, it meant um, to the people when the president gave everyone the um, the day off after the was the round of sixteen, I believe. It just shows that you know the whole the whole little nation united around the football team and they they were so proud of this team and i i love that i love that when the whole country gets behind um the football team because um you know in russia it's it's not like this russia is not the most football country in the world uh, some people do care some people don't and you don't get that vibe um when the whole nation is behind the country i get this vibe like for example in canada when when uh, vancouver canucks play in playoff when they play a playoff game in vancouver you see it's like an it's like a holiday everyone wearing the jerseys it's it's all in the air i love that feeling even i don't really you know watch hockey but that feeling of the whole country the whole city being behind your team is unbelievable it's 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 really for a f- sports fan it's it's an unbelievable and that's what i feel like the whole nation will be again behind costa rica that's why i have my little you know a little support uh, for them and obviously yeah, we have a player who plays for Vancouver Canucks oh Canucks for Vancouver Whitecaps a local MLS team uh, Kendall Waston he is the captain of uh, Vancouver Whitecaps so we see him play all the time um, very interesting player and it will be cool for us to see a local player to play in on the World Cup and um, and yeah we spoke we got a chance after one of the games by Vancouver Whitecaps versus Los Angeles we spoke to Marco Urenia who plays right now for Los Angeles FC but before that he plays in Kuban Krasnodal he played in Russian Premier League so we had this not only you know MLS connection but also Russian Premier League connection uh, so we got a chance to speak uh, to Marco Urenia and he spoke about his chances um, for Costa Rica with World Cup and he friendship with Kendall Watson. Could we still just see you got a very tough group this time, like last World Cup, Costa Rica was everyone's second, second favorite team because of your performance, you did so well. A uh, couple of your expectations for the upcoming World Cup. Yeah, we, we, know, we knew it right now as a team that we're, the, the expectation is so high for us, so we are, we are working hard for we to be you know, like the same way in Brazil. I know it's going to be tough because we have that pressure in their back, but it's a good challenge for us, so we're really looking forward to do that. The, the, the best choice there against Brazil, Switzerland and yeah. Serbia, so it's going to be hard, but yeah. at least it's good. You played in Kuban Krasnodar like a couple seasons, and uh, how excited are you going back? They didn't give Krasnodar the World Cup city, like everyone in Russia thinks that they should have given it such a beautiful city, such a football city. Uh, they didn't give the city, so... It's because they say they want to promote the football, you know, even more in the cities, but they don't have so much followers, yeah. you know, but in Krasnodar there is a really football city, you know, they deserve it, but in the end they don't give it. Also, the weather is really good there, so it's yeah. like a tropical there in Russia, so they deserve it, but they don't it because of the reasons they they choose the other cities you know to promote even more the football and the cities they they really don't play football enough so yeah. i think it's a uh, it's, it's bad for them but at least we are just we don't care we're gonna play we just want to go, go to work out and play uh, did you get a chance to talk to your teammate kendall uh, yeah for sure always always yeah. we are really good friends we're really close our families also so he's a good night a good guy and so bad for him but i'm so happy today <laughs> Congratulations on the win and good luck in Russia. Thank you, man. That's good luck. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, that was Marco Arena. Um, wish him all the best at this tournament, right, Tim? Um, 
So we'll see Costa Rica maybe going to surprise some people once again. But we have to talk about, we have to move on. I mean, we have so many teams to discuss. And this next team, <laughs> this next team that we have to discuss means absolutely nothing to me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm kidding. It's Germany, Germany. Um, Germany, of course, the, the holding world champion. I, I never fail to point this out for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> a country. That has qualified for every tournament that they were allowed to qualify for. Of course, they were twice. They were not allowed to go um, for political reasons. Um, they never failed to reach the last eight of every tournament they went to. They have been at least at the semifinal stage for the last four tournaments. And Germany have played in six, believe it or not, six World Cup finals. Um, some crazy some very, no, sorry, seven World Cup finals. I, I have almost forgot 2002. Uh, maybe that's because Germany had no business being in that final, but <laughs> <laughs> they're there nonetheless. So one of the most historic countries when it comes to the World Cup, when it comes to, if you actually take the World Cup as a table and you go points per game, they're the country that actually have the highest point per game average at the World Cup. So um, a winning side, Tim, and I think the expectations are around the world um that they are going to win the entire thing. So I'm now at the stage where the German angst is playing havoc with my feelings, and I'm thinking that we're not going to win it. But um, <laughs> I am curious, what do you think? Well, to me, Germany is the main favorite, and I'm not being, uh, again, too objective. A uh, lot of uh, German football on football grad, so I'm I'm my little feelings a little bit toward Germany. But I'm a massive fan of that whole you know, transition, which was done, I believe it started in 2000. And uh, when you change the whole system and you just, you were just right now seeing the results. People talk about four lineups for the French team, uh, possible, which they can bring on, but uh, Germany is no different. I have really lots of respect for uh, for that generation of players and for the work which was done on, on the FA level to have so many young players. I have a, a few questions for you, Mano, and especially like it's mostly with personalities and how Joachim Leov will choose from this great group of players. Let's start, let's start up uh, uh, from the top, from the up front of the team. We obviously see we have the um, team awareness uh, Mario Gomez and possibly Müller. How do you see who would be the main striker and which system uh, will Löw play? Is it going to be um, a proper striker uh, like uh, Timo Werner or um, Gomez or is it going to be a false nine more like Thomas Müller situation? Oh, Tim, you ask questions. I'm currently, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually typing up the, uh, the, the, the Germany squad analysis. Um, we have one out on Serbia done by Milos. I'm doing the Germany one today and then the Russia one tomorrow. So by the time the podcast is out, it will be all out. But yeah, I'm actually, um, just as we started the podcast, I was writing about the attackers and I think the, the one main question really will be the formation. And then that will de depend, that will determine who Löw is going to go with. Now at the Comfort Cup, we saw Germany plays 352. During the qualification, we saw them play 4-2-3-1. They won the Comfort Cup with that 3-5-2 formation, and you saw a lot of the players that have gone to this tournament um, play in that formation, that 3-5-2 formation. Now, in that 3-5-2 formation, I see Timo Werner play um, up top next to Thomas Müller as the secondary striker, sort of the role mm -hmm. that Lars Dindl played at the Comfort Cup. Of course, Dindl uh, missed, uh, is missing this tournament with an injury, right? So, uh, Thomas Müller is... is 
I I actually always thought during the Comfort Cup, Stindl was more or less simulating Thomas Müller's role, because like like uh, Müller, Stindl is a Raumdeuter. He's a player that plays that doesn't have a really predetermined role, can play several attacking roles at once, but you don't really can put your finger on what exactly his role is, right? And a very good player in reading the space. So he's the perfect player for a three-five-two formation. Now in a four-two-three-one, I actually struggled to find a role for Müller. Um, mm. because in a four, two, three, one, I see the three attacking players on the top. I see them being, uh, Draxler, Ozil, and Royce. That doesn't leave mm. any room for Müller unless, you know, he, he goes a four, two, three, one with the, not with a classic playmaker, but Müller, which Bayern sometimes do. And then you play Gomez at the very top. But in a four, two, three, one with Timo Werner at the top, you will have to go with Royce, Ozil, and, um, Draxler because of the speed. So it really will depend. I think it, I think up front there is so much flexibility and I, I think it really will depend on who they're playing and what kind of situation the, the Mannschaft finds themselves in. And I, I think, um, you know, just judging from what I've said, there, there is a lot of flexibility uh, in the attacking side. I mean, we haven't even pointed out that Leroy Sani hasn't made the side, which I actually think now looking back on that decision, it's a decision that makes a lot of sense because Sani hasn't really dazzled playing for Germany. And he's maybe still a bit too one-dimensional and at the age of 22 doesn't have the experience that some of the other players that, that Löw took along have and um, is, is not adaptable quite enough yet. So I, there's a lot of options in that attacking half of the Germany side. Okay, okay, that's 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 an like that's an interesting, very uh, you know, flexible answer like like you give like because like the like the side is. Let's go to the next uh, you know position because I'll, I have position questions for you for each position in, in in the field. So let's talk about midfielders. Do you see you know obviously the talent is magnificent. Cross, Hidira, you know Draxler, Garetska, Rudy. Like this is this is like Gundogan, genius players. Do you see an an absence of the clear-cut defensive middle field, like kind of like Gattuzov, like Igor Denisov, like the player who just definitely just defends pretty much. Is that an issue? Because I don't see that um, player in type of player in the German midfield. Sami Kedira. Is he is he really that defensive? I, yeah. I think he still can play the ball. Yeah, he can, but he definitely has the defensive role in that uh, four-two-three-one formation. And look, it will be Kadira and Kroos if it's four-two-three-one ahead of in any of the big games. It will be Kadira and Kroos. Um, mm-hmm. And and for me, Kroos is maybe the only player on that side that you cannot replace. He, yeah, it, it, it's if he is out, then Germany are in trouble. So um, yeah, I, I think Kadira, and I think that really. That pivot role will be Kadira and Kroos without a doubt. Yeah, I, th- I agree with you on that. I think the four-two-three-one, four-two-three-one, uh, yeah, right, yeah, uh, is the is the formation for Germany uh, because really you have such uh, an amazing uh, talent up front. You need to have as many players as possible, and you need to feature all those attacking players. Uh, then the, let's talk about defense. Um, to me, it's obvious that Boateng and Hummels is the center back if they play in four. Uh, Joshua Kimmich really proved himself as the probably the right back. But always the question for the past many, many years, uh, when Germany have this um, unbelievable um, you know, talent of people, but the only position they always have issues is the left back. Uh, we saw that you know who who played the the center back from Schalke played the left back uh, uh, when they won the cup of the left back and how strong is this position? 
Yeah, the Jonas Hector can play there, and he's very good. I, I'm not concerned at all. I am um, the one thing that I've noticed when I wrote this preview, Tim, was there's a there's a lot of center backs in in this mm-hmm. in this team. I mean, uh, we got Ginter, Sule, Rüdiger, Boateng, Hummels. Um, that's five five center backs, and that suggests to me that Löw will. Go three five two for some of the games. Oh, I see. I see. Right, because you don't take five center backs for two positions; you take them for three. And then, of course, uh, I think if there's any issues with with um, either Hector or Kimmich, Plattenhardt is the backup for either one. Uh, I I reckon he will go three five two two. Plattenhardt is the sort of player you bring in in a game when there's an injury, but he's not going to start him. So in that case, I think Rudiger will go. Um, on the wing, or Boateng will go on the wing, like like they did at the World Cup 2014. Uh, so, but I think you know I'm not really worried about the defensive because it's just seven games over a full season. That could be an issue, but over seven games, usually you don't really have to worry too much about it. So if uh, you know if he plays three, then who else? Boateng, who would be the third one? Uh, Rudiger uh, or Ginter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought Ginter was very good at the Comfort Cup. I mean, I I went to all the games at the Comfort Cup, right and you get a really good idea, and I like that three-five-two formation um, because it really got Germany control the midfield. And I mean, when some of the sides that you have facing in in that group um, F, you know, it's not the toughest group, but it's a, it, they, they they will have to dominate every single game because with Mexico, Sweden, Korea, those are the three other sides. And we have to discuss them a little bit as well, right, Tim? Um, I saw the Mexico game where Germany absolutely dominated. Um, but this is a side that likes to take over midfield. So Germany needs, needs that presence in midfield against teams like that. So I think in, in the games against Sweden and South Korea, Germany could very well go 3-5-2. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. Yeah, like like I said, yeah, that, that worked for them on the Confederations Cup, and uh, again, it's 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 good that Louv has has this flexibility in the tactical um, choices because it's hard for the other teams to prepare for them. So it's uh, it's hard. Let's talk now about the goalkeeping role, and obviously the main question is Manuel Neuer. Um, we know he is a very talented, genius leader. That he he is the presence. He's the captain of the team. D- do you see? Is that an issue as a fan for you that he didn't really play this season? Is that the issue? He's uh, potentially out of form. He looked good against Austria. No, I don't think so. Um, he's such a you know he's. He's been in the game for so long now that I think he has the routine to to work with it. And um, look, if halfway through the tournament there's another issue with his metastasal, well then we'll put Mark Andre Terstegen in goal. Um, who, you know, I wrote in the preview Germany have the the lucky situation that their number one keeper when healthy is maybe the best in the world, and then uh, the number two keeper when healthy is maybe the second best keeper in the world. 
And that's, that's no disrespect to the likes of Jan Oblak and Kotwa and De Gea and as you name them all. Uh, they are all good keepers, but none of them can play football the way Ter Stegen and Neuer can. And, uh, I think there's a reason why the one plays Bayern and the other one at Barca. And, um, so that position I'm not worried about at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, again like, and the third choice is Kevin Trapp, also not the worst goalkeeper in the world. So you have, again, it's going back to that. You have a very strong squad, and um, it's really, yeah, it's pretty much you have a tough job, Mano, ahead of you because, like, really putting a squad and analyzing the squad is very hard because you really don't know what will happen because Love has so many options. Yeah, and he likes to surprise people, like he did with the nomination, right? Uh, I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm really curious what the likes of Mexico, Sweden, and South Korea thought about these nominations. And mm-hmm. um, my thought is that all three of them will be saying like, "Look, okay, well, I guess it's second place in this group." And mm-hmm. when I look at the the other three teams, Tim, and I have looked at them long and hard, and I, we we spend a lot of time think thinking about Mexican football and the football grad podcasts. Um, I think that Mexico are clear cut number two in this group, um, because Sweden without Slatan are just going to be very boring. Um, and at the same time, the, the Blagult, as they called, they just, the best players, Emil Forsberg, who plays in Germany. And it's worrisome to think that, you know, he's been out of form. So I don't see any kind of creativity there. And in South Korea, all, everything will rely on Hoyman's son. Uh, they're not the, the Korean side that went to the semifinal in 2002. So I, I think for Germany, on paper, this, this group looks tougher than it actually is. Well, I I, st- I still believe in Germany. I think Germany will easily finish with, uh, not easily, they will finish with nine points. To me, it's just not, not out of question because they're so much better. Uh, but, it, you know, there's no easy games and, and at the World Cup. So I don't think it's going to, like the game... To me, the game of the group is the game between Mexico and Sweden, yeah. because that that will determine like if one of those if one of those nations will win this group, this pretty much gives them the second spot. Uh, I agree with you about South Korea. They have they always have a hardworking and a very hard to play against team, but like there's just not really enough quality. They have one top star as you mentioned, um, Son, but the rest of the team is really you know you you just don't have enough quality to be the team who would but be potentially who would play for the second spot. So, um, and yeah, in Mexico, again, like we, we see lots of those players in MLS. We we follow through the football grad. Um, so yeah, obviously that's, uh, that's a little bit. And again, uh, going back again to the point which I will be making about every team, they have a top striker or a leader of the team. They have uh, obviously um, Hernandez. And uh, Guardado, who is very experienced captain, who had a very good season at Betis, mm. um, that that will help. That will help. And um, again, and something that we have to mention that Rafa Marquez is going to his fifth World Cup, yeah. and hopefully we'll get at least two minutes to to make it historically. Yeah, and then there's of course the curse of the round of 16, where Mexico has failed to get past in the last since 1986. Um, the curse of the 16. So hopefully they can, they can finally, uh, get past that, that stage. Uh, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I have a soft spot for Mexico. But Tim, we have to unfortunately move on to the next group, group G. Um, Belgium, Panama, Tunisia, and our friends from England. <laughs> uh, um, I want to start with Belgium too. This is a side that every tournament people are saying they will go deep they could potentially win it 
Um, it's a very, very talented side. It might, might be the favorites in that group ahead of England. But at the same time, you know, the, the Diablo Rouge, the Red Devils, as they are called, they also have the tendency, this, this, this generation also has the tendency to disappoint somewhat, don't they? Yeah, they do. They've been, like you said, uh, uh, yeah, one of the favorites for every single tournament, and they did absolutely nothing so so far to 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 uh, when we're speaking about this generation of players. To me, the biggest question is their coach. Uh, I am really not very uh, convinced by Martinez as the coach, as the coach who can potentially win the World Cup or be, at least bring Belgium to the semi-final. The talent is there, but um, those tournaments are not won just on pure talent. You need the team and you need to the structure of the team and you need to make those uh, choices between players. To me, it also shows kind of, you know, like not having Nain Golan and I understand for what reason Martinez is not taking, but not being able to have the conversation and to maybe give up some of your ideals um, to have player of that caliber in the team. Again, it's hard to say because he has his vision. I mean, Martinez has his vision and how he will structure the team. And honestly, maybe it is that the tactical decision in addition to Nain Galan smoking and uh, parting attitude. But um, really, to me, like maybe that's that's where the coaches, you know, succeed when they are able to maybe you know find the compromise and have the players because to me he is the player which could be the that leader could be that that player who defines and who will be the result maker uh, in a potential game but you know even that situation aside they have obviously the beautiful team um just unbelievable talent in there but again we need to see how they he will structure because also how he will play kevin de bruyne and eden Hazard uh, in the same squad so they can can be at the best of their games um a lot of questions for martinez and uh, that's my you know main concern about this team what do you think yeah no i i'm with you for me the the question is the, the putting together all the talent um martinez interesting choice as a coach to begin with and i, I think that yeah. um, navigating the dressing room will be the most difficult thing it's is it at every tournament this is what joachim Löw does and that's why joachim Löw, for example makes difficult choices before every tournament because um, sometimes players don't make squads because they he feels that they could threaten the team chemistry which is important because you spend four weeks before a tournament together in a training camp and then another four weeks ideally together at the tournament right and a lot of things can go wrong when you're in in these in these training camps that are you know very concentrated people are sitting on each other and you will get at some point players will go on each other's nerves that's just how it is so you need to find that balance that chemistry to make sure that doesn't happen because that can derail your entire tournament and i mean i look up and down the side and i see so much so much potential there but then i mean i saw i see also guys that Nagani carrasco who is age 24 and went to china i mean and that's not exactly an ambitious yeah ambition for me you know and you see the same with Axel Witzel who's now trying to come back to Europe right we went from Zenit to to Tianjin Quan Yin um so those are those are questions for me and yeah and are those players better than uh Rajana Inkalan yeah no that, that is, that's the biggest question for me I was actually just gonna thanks for reminding me because um I love him I think he's a great player and you need you know as much as team chemistry is important sometimes you need also need to have someone who kind of makes Get, gets gets easy things going in the training camp. Lukas Podolski is a great example for that. Yeah. He's not exactly an easy character, but he's hilarious, right? And he was always in charge of the training camps of of 
giving that a little bit extra. And it's going to be interesting to see who's going to take that role. For example, Germany with Podolski being gone. This, people underestimate the importance of this in, in group dynamics. And I think, um, I think that can make absolutely the difference between winning the tournament and not. And I think when I look at Belgium, maybe the biggest obstacles for them has been always team chemistry over over the years um i mean the, there's another side in this group that we're going to talk about in a few minutes that has very much the same issues had had it for in every world cup except for 1966 without giving too much away right so <laughs> I, 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 no but it's it's true i mean these these team chemistry is such an important aspect and i think that's why and this is the next side i want to talk about tim that's why i see a side like panama actually having an outside chance because they got there such a crazy story the way they got there right because they only got there because as things were unfolding in that group and the u.s lost to trinidad and tobago and they ended up winning to costa rica that can really propel you and get you going in a tournament yeah there's an interesting side uh, that's that was a crazy story that panama made it against of the united states because the united states really in that like we follow that um qualifying region because canada plays there but uh, yeah it's it's pretty much given that Mexico and USA will qualify for World Cup and not seeing the USA doing that and then Panama doing it pretty much instead. Uh, it's a massive achievement and we know how much how much that that meant for for the team. Um, to me, it's you know it's a little bit the the the, the question of the the again the the personnel. They have quite a few MLS players, but then the rest players really play in um, South America. And to be quite honest, I don't know much. Uh, about those players um, we'll see but um, again like I, I agree with you I don't think it will be easy because on paper obviously Belgium and England are um, stronger than Tunisia and Panama but I don't think it will be that easy especially with England you know how much pressure they have and we we remember all their games how they you know failed against the, the teams who were technically uh, weaker than them on paper so I don't think it will be a very easy group for England or Belgium, and mainly I agree for you for, for that character. If if Germany would have been in that group, I would say it's easy. It's easy group for them. It's given uh, nine points in that group. Uh, but um, Belgium or England don't have that um, the team, the team, and I'm using like T, uh, capital team T for that because they don't they don't have that squad of like-minded individuals who can who don't have that synergy. Uh, then sometimes you know clubs like for example what Leicester had when they won the league. It was not about the, the player quality. It was about the training. It was about the the idea which the squad had. So little nations like Panama and Tunisia might have that. Uh, as funny as it sounds, more than Belgium or England. Yeah, and I mean, you just look at this and, um, you know, skipping a little bit over Tunisia, who were probably the, the outsiders in the squads, the, the Les Eglis, the Katak. Um, it's an interesting side, but I mean, it's not the side that I think is going to shoot out the lights. Uh, but to get back to that England, uh, you, you just look at this treatment that Rahim Sterling is right now getting from the press. I think, you know, he's, he tattooed a, a Kalashnikov on his leg and, you know, that can be criticized to a certain extent, um, given his statements that he, he, he has is against guns. But at the same time, you almost wonder if that would have happened if he had a different skin color. So you, you know, the outside press in the UK is so malicious. And I think they almost do the biggest damage to this team and make it very difficult for this team to, to get any squad chemistry going. And I mean, we see this all the time when you talk about out of England, there's always a sideshow going on, isn't there, Tim? Every World Cup, <laughs> yeah. it's it's like a theater production. 
Um, <laughs> and um, I think that's been all been one of the biggest obstacles to the side is that they, you know, they, right now they're actually looking at the generation of players that are very good. This is this is a good team that they got, but it, already the World Cup hasn't even started yet, and you have uh, certain newspapers already blaring all over them and producing headlines that cannot be productive for the side. And I think um, that's one of the big obstacles and whether you get all these big personalities in, in the room to work together, um, that's that's a big question mark for me. And it always is a big question mark when it comes to England. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's crazy how much pressure the, the press puts on the players and um, it's just... Yeah, I don't know how it's it's impossible to have any squad chemistry when every single player have you know they have this media group. Uh, I remember I was it Raheem Sterling. I don't remember some somebody was it somebody um, said that one of the members of their media tweet uh, of, of their media team tweeted something. So they have uh, several people who work on their twitters. Like how can you have like it's it's really it's it's a little bit too much in my opinion that you know the the size and the egos of those players have and then you have that it's very hard to have in my opinion i've never been in this situation but it's it's hard for me to see how can you create a real synergy in a, a, a real squad a real group of players like-minded individuals when you all have um, from one side the press is completely just killing you and then on the other side you have all this um egos and then the media teams will be putting out tweets for you it's it's a little bit uh, yeah I, I don't know it's 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 not easy to be a national england national team player but just looking at the squad i have i'll just give you a couple of my ideas on the squad i have issues with the goalie they always had issues in the goalie we've seen seaman we've seen hart uh make mistakes at big tournaments um it's always been the position which is under the question and this time pickford butland and pope is really not the world because it's not uh, the decision between Neuer, Ter Stegen and Trapp, it's a slightly different quality of playings. And then I just look at the squad and visually, they have how many? Ten defenders? So like I'm not sure I'm not sure what are they going to do in the World Cup. What's the plan is there? But when your half of the team is defenders and goalkeepers, raises a bit of a question. And I'm really looking at those players who are there. Not that many of them expect maybe uh, Fabian Delph can play in in you know any attacking football so that also kind of raises a question that just the choice of players like why do you have so many uh defenders on your squad and um yeah and then to me it really comes down to the to the hurricane performance because he is definitely uh, the only probably the only world-class player on that squad uh, and uh, it really comes down to his. If he will be doing t taking cor corners again instead of uh, trying to score the goals, then it will be you know, a, a tough, a long tournament for England. So I have many, many questions about England. I see them maybe making out of group, but uh, there's no way I, I see England playing in semi-final, maybe even quarter-final. Yeah, I spoke to Chris Williams um, before before this podcast, and he said to me. Uh, quarterfinals and that will be it. I, I think that's uh, that's probably a good shout. And you know, given that there is some younger players coming up, I, I think there is maybe a few years down the road a better generation coming up. But they usually go in self-destruct mode, don't they? So, <laughs> um, you know, I think there is the talent there. I, I quite frankly think there actually is talent there. This might be one of the more talented sides England has sent to a tournament in a long time. But 
uh, the structure isn't quite there yet and sometimes you need two or three tournaments to sort it all out right so i could see them becoming a dangerous side uh, as much um, as a, as a germany fan um, that kind of you know of course it's not something i like to say but um, <laughs> i can see it happening and there's good things happening i think what really helps them too tim is they're sending a lot of their young players abroad now you know to the likes of the bundesliga where they're getting lots of playing time and that will be that will be something that will help them in the long time long term anyways but i i i guess it's pretty safe to say england and belgium to get out of this group um and then panama and tunisia um trying to challenge i think that's pretty much sums it up for this group doesn't it tim yeah yeah i agree perfect well that gets us to our final group group h um poland senegal colombia and japan it's a very interesting mix of four countries that have absolutely nothing to do with each other and uh <laughs> that's what we love the world cup and I, I i personally um one of my dark horses is in this group one of the teams that i really like watching i've always liked watching i've always been a big fan of the country in general uh is colombia tim um for me colombia uh, i mean you remember the the the, ga- the goalkeeper um Higuita, right? Remember his scorpion yeah. kick? Um, Valderrama. The, Valderrama with his crazy hair. Um, the, the stories oh. that you get out of the country, of course, with the, with the, 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 the really fascinating. So anyone in, who has Netflix has watched the Narcos. The interception between politics and football is so massive there. Uh, the Los Cafetaros. It's a bit of romanticism, a bit of gangsterism, a bit of, you know, there's everything is kind of there. Uh, James Rodriguez, I'm a big fan of him. He's, of course, our Bundesliga player of the year on the Gegenpressing podcast. Tim, Colombia, uh, this is my ode on them. I hope that they go deep in this tournament. Yeah, I'm also, I'm also, I like general South, South American sides and, uh, um, Colombia was great at the last World Cup and it was really be- brilliant to see. And then th- this is where James Rodriguez, uh, made his name. Uh, in general, that's one of the most interesting groups for me because it's kind of hipster choice, uh, football, but it's really, to me, it's all four teams can can go to the next round and uh colombia maybe maybe being slight favorites out of that pack but still all the teams have the chances and i think it will be a very interesting group uh to watch because it's really impossible to say uh, what 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 will happen but uh, going back to colombia they have a very good squad again people playing in in europe playing at a good level and uh, again going back to my point they have one leader actually two leaders uh uh, obviously, James Rodriguez and Radamel Falcao, also who is a great yeah. striker and ha- and having striker of that caliber, um, is is very important at the World Cup. Uh, Carlos Baca didn't have a b- b- wonderful season at Real. He's kind of um, going down slightly in his form, but also having player of that experience and e- even maybe maybe being as a second striker uh, is 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 helpful for for their team. It's I'm I'm no I'm excited. It's, I think it's going to be a very interesting group, and maybe maybe uh, they have slightly the chances of winning the group. But other teams are also very experienced. And one more thing, also before I finish on Colombia, uh, Peckerman, their coach, very experienced coach who already been with the team for a long time. He he knows how to. He knows that team. He knows that squad. That also, in my opinion, um, very important uh, factor in their success, in their potential success. Uh, 
Um, okay, so let's talk who, who we're going to talk next. Poland, we have to talk about uh, our neighbors um, to the east, Vialo Cervoni. Um, your neighbors to the west, my neighbors to the east. Um, I have a crazy yeah. start for you, Tim. Um, okay. Since uh, the Euro Championships in 2016, Poland has not won a game in which Lewandowski has not scored. <laughs> so well, the, you know, yeah. So when I was in Poland, I asked them, um, "Is is this team too dependent on Robert Lewandowski?" And uh, the journalists I talked to at the conference I was at, they really believe that they have a team at the moment that Lewandowski isn't as important as uh, as we think he is. But uh, Tim, I'm not sure. I mean, if Robert Lewandowski doesn't score, uh, Lukas Teodorczyk and Arkadiusz Milik, they're, they're good striker. Piotr Selinski is a good attacking midfielder. There's a lot of good players in that, but. I mean, Lewandowski is perhaps the best number nine in the world at the moment, right? Yeah, he is. He is. He's definitely one of the top uh, yeah, number nines in the world. And, uh, well, they have a good squad. But if Lewandowski will be sc scoring, that, that will be a massive help. And um, we see how he tries for the national team. And he, he always tries to score and get those goals. Sometimes it doesn't work for him. Uh, but... Uh, Obviously, he is the best player, and he he will be the main the main player of that team. But uh, it's good that he's supported, but uh, but like you said, by the quite a few players who who had a very good season. Again, looking at the squad, they have a fairly young team, and there's a lot of young players. They obviously have like you know the legends like uh, Kuba Blaschikovsky, uh, Lukas Piszczek, who who seen seen it all already. Um, but there's like you said, there's quite a few. Interesting players, um, yeah, like Milik, the player who I really like, and I felt so bad when he had uh, those injuries. I'm not sure in which uh, conditions he is right now, but again, Robert Lewandowski, he will be the main man up front. But um, yeah, Piotr Zielinski also another good player. Uh, so it's it it will be it will be an interesting. Um, an interesting team to, uh, to watch but again like i said this this group is all full of that it's really I, i have no idea what will happen in this group like the previous group we discussed it's obviously belgium and england they're so you know superior uh just from the um, level of players they have in that group in this group it's they, we don't have this maybe colombia but at the same time all four teams are absolutely you know kind of slightly even between each other so it's gonna be a very very interesting group i'm that's probably one of my favorite groups on the on the on the tournament well it should be because when you look at uh senegal um and the, that's the that's one of those african sides that could really surprise and i mean they have one of the most exciting players that we haven't even talked about remember when we talked about group a and we talked about egypt and mohammed salah um Liverpool's one of Liverpool's strikers, of course, is Sadio Mane, and he plays for Senegal, and he will be definitely a player to watch in this group. So, uh, if you want your African country, there's always an African country that goes deep at every tournament, and they could be it. And they have done it, of course, in the past, right? And in this group, mm -hmm. they in this group, they have a chance um, to really do something, um, especially. And then Tim, this might be a bit of a controversial statement because I don't think Japan. You know, a few years ago, they they had a bit of a golden generation, but Shinji Kagawa wasn't in great form this season. Shinji Okazaki um, is 32 now, the Leicester star. Um, Kiyotake um, didn't even make the side. Um, Kaisuke Honda now plays in Pachuca in Mexico. It's It doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like this team is going to 
do very much at this tournament. Yeah, I'm surprised to see so little players from uh, from from Bundesliga because every time I watch Bundesliga, it seems like every single team have a Japanese player. I'm obviously exaggerating, but there's a lot of Japanese players who play in Germany and um, and yeah, I always want to say I, I thought that will be the whole team from from Bundesliga, but I'm obviously joking and exaggerating. But but yeah, the the Japan they don't it's not they don't have Nakatas, they don't have um, you know the players of that caliber from uh, 10 15 years ago but uh, we also need to remember that uh, usually the asian teams especially you know korea japan they take as the hard work and the teamwork and team effort and in that group it it might be enough to cause problems i'm not saying that J- japan's going to go and won the, the world cup but uh, i think like i said that's that's why this group is so exciting because you don't know where who will deliver what um, this is a group really for football hipsters and i will be you know glued to the to those games because it will be a good way to discover new players and also to just really to watch football where you have no idea what will happen absolutely well tim that's it we're through all the groups we've done it i know 120 minutes of recording interviews <laughs> uh experts we've done it uh we're done um i guess next week we'll we'll preview we'll have another pre-world cup special of course coming next week um towards you but um until then tim what what do you want to pe- want to get uh, people's attention towards you uh, well, exactly the same thing I said the last time. This week I'm doing I'm doing a radio show in Vancouver called Rocket from Russia and this uh week on Thursday I'm doing a 2-hour episode where I will play bands from um the nations which will play the World Cup and I will play them group by group in blocks of 4 and that will pretty much shows the diversity of um you know punk rock and like general rock music uh, in the world and this is one of my favorite episodes which I do every two years for Euro or for the World Cup and I'm very very excited I already started preparing and I will have some hard time looking for punk rock bands in Saudi Arabia and Tunisia but uh, this is the challenge I picked for myself yeah yeah and make sure to, to listen in on that and we'll feature this on uh, Football Grad in one way and another as well in form of an article and in form of a post so look out for that for sure well all the previews Everything you need to know about the World Cup, it's all, you uh, can find all of it at Football Grad Live. Uh, Tim's U Punk show will be, of course, tweeted as well. I almost forgot. <laughs> um, <laughs> add it on Facebook. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow me at Manuel Weff. Uh, I have lots of World Cup things going on. I uh, you know, lots of requests for writing articles, etc. I'll always tweet them out at, at Manuel Weff. So follow me there. Um, I'm excited for the World Cup. I'm heading to Russia in eight days and um can't wait well until next time dos vidanya
Imagine if you could dry, detangle, style, and volumize your hair all in one step. Well, it's easy with the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush by Conair. Create beautiful blowout styles at home with a powerful 1,000-watt motor for quick drying and easy glide Flexalite bristles for snag-free detangling. Customize styling with three heat settings and use the cool shot to lock in your look. Ionic technology reduces frizz, bonus attachment volumizes your hair, makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.